What is up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Rewired Soul Podcast. It's your host, Chris. And today, it's not just a normal episode. It is a bonus episode. And my guest today is none other than Rebecca Watson. All right. So those of you who are unaware of Rebecca and her work, she actually has a pretty awesome YouTube channel, which I've been following for a while. And recently she made this awesome video about depression and some research that's been coming out. And I was like, you need to come on my podcast because as you know, we talk a lot about, you know, skepticism here, how to debunk bad science, pseudoscience and all that. And Rebecca over on her channel, she does that a lot. She looks at these studies or these big flashy news headlines that are like, hey, look at what this scientific study says. And she breaks it down and explains, you know, is this real or is it BS and all that kind of stuff. So I asked Rebecca to come on the podcast because I really enjoyed, you know, uh, how she was talking about mental health and how we could be skeptical of some of the research around that. So I had Rebecca come on and we talk about, you know, skepticism, why it's important to be skeptical, the importance of thinking scientifically and knowing how to debunk bad science. And I even asked her, you know, I'm like, is there really an issue with people believing in the paranormal? Because as many of you know, that's what I'm always wondering. I'm like, how big of a deal is it if people believe in this stuff? And her answer is really interesting. And actually kind of, you'll see in the podcast, it kind of shifts my perspective a little bit. But, you know, most importantly, you know, the, the meat and potatoes of this episode is I asked, you know, Rebecca, you know, some questions about, you know, managing mental health and how skepticism and thinking critically can actually help us with our mental health. And she actually has a, a really great story too about you know talking with healthcare professionals and getting a proper diagnosis and we talk a little bit about mental health medications and all that so i'm super grateful that she came on make sure you head down to the description make sure you're following rebecca over on twitter and subscribe over to her youtube channel as well it's awesome if you're into this stuff i guarantee even if you're not into this stuff i guarantee you'll love her channel she's such a you know intelligent an awesome person. I love it. But yeah, before we get started, speaking of mental health, uh, for those of you who didn't know, down in the description, there's actually an affiliate link for BetterHelp Online Therapy. It's a service that I've personally used. And Rebecca and I, we talked a little bit about, you know, not only like self-managing our mental health, but also therapy and meeting with professionals and all that. So if you are somebody out there struggling and you want to work with a licensed therapist, and it's affordable, it's online, it's from the comfort of your own home. There's an affiliate link for BetterHelp down below. And all that means is you get affordable online therapy and a little bit comes back to help support the podcast and everything that I'm doing here. All right. But yeah, before we get started, also make sure you're subscribed to the podcast if you're not yet. And make sure you're following me over on Instagram and Twitter at The Rewired Soul. All right. But anyways, without further ado, here's my conversation with Rebecca Watson. All right. Hello, Rebecca. Thanks so much for joining me today. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, I'm glad you came here. I, I have seen your content kind of floating around and checked out some of the stuff. But recently, my girlfriend and I have been binging it. And I reached out to see if you want to come on. So for those who are unfamiliar with what you do, your content, your work, can you lay out a little bit of your background and the type of content that, that you make? Sure. I, um, I I'm the founder of Skeptic uh, at Skeptic.org, which is a website focused on women um, and, and critical thinking, also feminism and atheism and uh, science, STEM topics in general. And uh, I've got a few other writers that write for me there. And then also I have a YouTube channel where uh, twice a week I do videos on all of those topics, basically anything that catches my interest in those in that realm. Uh, yeah, so. yeah, I've, I've really been enjoying. I I I found like the importance in all these conversations. You know, not just like skepticism, but uh, just kind of understanding 
science, like scientific literacy, especially, especially like during COVID, right? Like I'm very fortunate that I really got into this topic like before COVID because <laughs> like with all the stats and everything thrown out. So like one, one question I want to ask you too, like when, when you say critical thinking, like there's like a lot of different ways that people discuss and have def definitions, like what's, how are you defining critical thinking? Yeah, it's it's a phrase that um, I use mostly to avoid the word skeptic or skepticism <laughs> because there's just so much um, bullshit. Can I curse? Heck yeah, you can. Okay. Or hell yeah, you can. Okay. <laughs> Gosh, yeah, I can. <laughs> um, so yeah, there's there's so much bullshit surrounding uh, the idea of skepticism, and uh, you know when I started skeptic. It was, uh, you know, I was, I felt like I was part of a community of skeptics. And uh, back then, the the idea was we critically evaluate uh, claims, usually paranormal or mm -hmm. pseudoscientific claims, um, that other people might uncritically accept. So my entryway was through uh, psychics because mm. I was a magician and oh really there's, yeah there's a uh, I worked my way through college uh, as a magician and working in a magic shop and there's a long history of magicians um, debunking mm -hmm. the paranormal uh, from Houdini up through James Randi and Penn and Teller and so that was my introduction to skepticism. Um, but then, you know, it becomes this thing that you can, a philosophy of life that you can apply to anything mm -hmm. and everything and to a small degree or to a large degree, sometimes for good and sometimes for ill. Mm -hmm. uh, so, you know, early on when I got involved in uh, the skeptics movement in 2004 ish. That was when uh, it was very popular for 9/11 uh, truthers to mm -hmm. go around calling themselves skeptics because they're skeptical yeah. of the uh, Bush administration's story of 9/11. You know, um, so then we would have to say, "Well, we're not those kind of skeptics." <laughs> <laughs> So uh, I and I think that the term critical thinking is a better, um, uh, a, a, a more understandable term, because to me, critical thinking is kind of pumping the brakes a little on the things that you assume to be true and uh, subjecting them to a critical analysis as though you're a disinterested third party. Mm -hmm. And through that is you know how i've become an atheist and uh you know it, it, that has kind of led me to the conclusions i have but i will still always occasionally uh hold those conclusions up to that hard light again just to make sure that they still hold up you know and sometimes they don't and then i yeah. change my mind so um yeah for for me critical thinking is uh a non-stop process of checking yourself mm -hmm. before wrecking yourself yeah yeah exactly and, and you know just like updating beliefs and stuff like that i think you know one of the reasons i ask people like how they're defining critical thinking is i remember just before really getting into like skepticism and even like socratic questioning and all these things right these tools that we use i heard people just throw in critical thinking around like all willy-nilly and basically they were just using the the term critical thinking for like I disagree with this, you know, right. <laughs> and, and I'm like, okay, well, that's not really defining anything. You could disagree with whatever you want. And I saw it a lot, actually, you know, coming from the YouTube world as well. A lot of it within like uh, commentary channels and stuff and saying like, if you use critical thinking, that, 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 that. I'm like, well, you're just having an opinion. There's no scientific validity, right. you know? So, I, so I'm like, let's, let's narrow this down a little bit, but you know, it's, it's interesting too. I didn't realize your, your background, like in, you know, uh, magic and the paranormal and psychics and stuff like yeah. that. That's, that's like where I got interested too. Like I was sitting around like, how do people believe this stuff? You know? And, uh, you know, one of, one of my favorite books is the skeptics guide to the universe. Have you read that from like Stephen Novella? Uh, I have not, uh, read it actually, oh, but I, <laughs> I, 
I used to be on that podcast. What? Look, I'm learning so much about you, Rebecca. That's that's what's fun about having somebody on who's new. So yeah, I was I was on SU for about ten years. What the hell? That is amazing. So, so yeah, well, anyway, so maybe, maybe some of the stuff from the book was inspired by you too, but yeah, there's so much in there about the paranormal and everything. And something I'm always asking too, because we have a limited capacity to care about things, right? Like for example, you know, feminism and issues with women, that that's a big deal, especially with the shit going on in Texas and that nonsense. So like, then, then there's like people who believe in like paranormal and psychics, right? So in your in your opinion, your experience, like how like how much do does do these kind of beliefs like matter? Like do you go out of your way if somebody like believes in like, you know, the paranormal and says like, oh, you know what, I, you know, was playing with a Ouija board and oh, it's a sign from a ghost or whatever it is. Like, how much weight do you put into that in comparison with other issues that we're tackling in the world? Yeah, it's a fair question to wonder, you know, what the harm is in certain beliefs, because, yeah, you know, I I have friends who talk about their horoscopes and I'm never totally sure how serious they are. You know, (laughs) it can be fun um, to, to talk about astrology and stuff, so long as at the end of the day, you know, it's bullshit. Um. But for for those who don't know it's bullshit, you know, I'm not rushing out to burst their bubbles, um, but there are uh, harms to um, that kind of magical thinking. Mm-hmm. Um, and and it, it comes in, a, it's a, it's, there's a spectrum of things that can result from that kind of magical thinking. Um, mm-hmm. You know, on the one hand, you've got, psychics who end up extorting their clients for tens of thousands of dollars mm-hmm. um or to me even worse than that are those people who extort people's uh feelings sorry my dog just ran in <laughs> hey buddy um hi uh the psychics who who um yeah they 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 take people's memories of their dead loved ones and Mm -hmm. uh, distort them and use them to their own financial advantage. Mm -hmm. Um, And in the very worst cases, you've got people like Sylvia Brown, who uh, went on national television and told uh, a woman that her son was dead, that her missing son was dead, um, only to have him be found alive several years later. You know, and she's just sitting there like, ah, he's dead. Get yeah. up. You know, and it's like, and and she knew she was a fake, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that kind of sociopathy that uh, can really damage people, like their, their psychic well-being, you know, mm-hmm. um, as well as taking their money. So there's, there's those instances, but, you know, it's, it's not always like that. It's usually, oh, you know, I paid 10 bucks to get my palm read at a fair and it was fun and who yeah. cares. Um, but even that sort of thing, you know, those experiences provide the backdrop for a society that cares less about mm. uh, honesty and about uh, science and critical thinking and, you know, and and all of those things eventually lead us to where we are now. So Mm -hmm. to give you an example, uh, one thing that I have fought against for the entirety of my time in the skeptical movement um, was to focus on vaccines Mm -hmm. because uh, vaccine hesitancy and misinformation was being driven largely by women playing upon this idea of mothers as knowing more than doctors, you know, and mm-hmm. having this natural intuition that should lead them to know what to do in all circumstances. And the fact of the matter is that, uh, you know, people like Andrew Wakefield and Jenny McCarthy, who spread this idea that uh, the MMR 
vaccine, the measles, mumps, rubella vaccine, um, causes autism, which it absolutely does not. It's safe and effective. Mm-hmm. You know, they have led to some like an actual body count. Uh, however, for the most part, you know, these uh, bursts of measles popping up in, you know, various communities in California with uh, low vaccine uptake and other places, they tended to get, they tended to be restricted to these little bubbles, you know, mm-hmm. because the rest of the country more or less stayed vaccinated. Um, so there was still mostly this herd immunity protecting people. Um, so we would still get this question like, well, what's the harm really? Like they're only hurting themselves mm-hmm. um, because it's it's not really a big deal if a couple of people decide that they don't want to get vaccinated. It's, you know, it's usually not a big deal. Mm-hmm. So now we're in a situation where it's a big deal because there's so many of them now that they're threatening the rest of us, you know, mm-hmm. and, and people who physically cannot get vaccinated, you know, people who are immunocompromised. And uh, so now we see the groundwork that was laid in the late 90s and early 2000s by people like Jenny McCarthy. Mm-hmm. Um, we see where that has led us. It's led us to this point. I guarantee that had Andrew Wakefield never existed, uh, the United States would have a higher vaccine uptake today. But he laid that groundwork for not trusting vaccines, for not trusting medical science, Mm -hmm. uh, and for instead trusting your intuition, your mother's intuition, you know better. Um, All of that led us to where we are today. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And And the vaccine thing, you know, I've had, I've had, you know, authors on here talking about that and the history of Andrew Wakefield. And it's a topic that's really close to me because my son's mom, uh, when we were together and she was, you know, pregnant with my son, she was working with children with autism, right? Mm. And in those bubbles, that's a, that's a huge conversation. And when my son was born, she was extremely hesitant. And she's like, here, just before we make a decision, watch this documentary. And it was Andrew Wakefield's documentary. I didn't know anything yeah. about him. I didn't know anything about the arguments. But also back then, you know, my son's 12, so 12 years ago, I I had no idea about, you know, how to be skeptical, how to yeah. question things, how to look at other sources. And especially with Andrew Wakefield, you know, uh, he pops up in just about every book I read about, like, uh, debunking bad science and stuff. Like, he was being funded you know, I like this group of lawyers. He was trying to patent his own thing. Like there's, there were conflicts and there were so many issues with that. And that's one of the reasons I try to educate people like, Hey, because sometimes we have this like blind trust of authority in some ways, like, Oh, well that, that guy's a doctor. Like, remember when uh, COVID started and you had like these chiropractors coming out uh, to share, yeah. their, <laughs> to share yeah. their opinions. It was like, exactly the same as we saw after nine 11, mm. the, the 9-11 truthers that got the most attention were engineers and architects, uh, you yeah. know, and it's like they don't know what they're talking about just because they're engineers. <laughs> uh, but, you know, people were like, oh, well, they must know what they're talking about. Yeah, yeah that jet, jet fuel can't melt steel beams, you know, and it is just so frustrating. It's the exact same thing with COVID. A bunch of chiropractors and life mm-hmm. coaches and me up this or whatever you know yeah just coming out of the woodwork to spread bullshit and it's very frustrating and real real doctors who uh join in you know because there there's always going to be some you know Mm -hmm. and uh and in a time like covid when you know everything is happening so quickly and we're basically do like scientists are doing science on the fly in front mm-hmm. of the world, you know, and it, it doesn't get, you know, we, the scientific process only works through time and repetition and, mm-hmm. and careful research. Um, and all of those went out the window for, well, still for two years. Now. Yeah. Still doing with it. And yeah. So, so real quick too, like going back to the, the whole psychic 
conversation because uh, we're about to dive into some meaty mental health topics. Here's, here's another place I'm curious. Like my girlfriend loves to fuck with me and just send me TikToks. Like a lot of them are funny, but then she'll send me the sidekicks of TikTok just so I want to just die, right? But anyways, I, I'm constantly conflicted about the placebo effect, right? Because like you said, like I've, I've read, you know, different research around if somebody believes in this supernatural thing, they're more likely to believe in other dumb things, yeah. right? But anyways, so if we're talking about mental health and we're talking, because I agree that one of the main issues with psychics is when they're scamming people, when people are throwing a lot of, uh, a lot of money, but you know, for example, therapy can be expensive. Our healthcare system sucks and not everybody has access to mental health meds. So what, what are your thoughts around like, if, if spending X amount on a psychic is helping somebody cope with grief, like believing, you know, that their loved one has passed on, where do you think that kind of lands? Like, cause it's, it's helping them somewhat with their mental health, but it's also bullshit. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah. I mean, it's, a, it's a great question. I think it's, it's dangerous, you know, and I, I'm somebody who is very skeptical of uh, big pharma. You know, I I am in favor of universal health care. I think that the pharmaceutical industry in the United States is disgusting and mm -hmm. uncontrolled and run by sociopaths. So uh, I feel for people who can't get, you know, who can't afford mental health, you know, uh, like appropriate, uh, you know, therapy, that they need, but I think replacing that with a psychic is extremely dangerous because this is a person who has zero training and who can and often does end up causing more problems than they solve. Mm. Um, you know, so, and that's that's just in general, <laughs> you know, because because this person doesn't, you know, you're random psychic doesn't know how to you know counsel someone who's grieving mm -hmm. and i don't think that it's helpful in the long term to just lie to somebody mm -hmm. to you know get them through whatever and you know my big intro really to um to to psychics was john edward uh who was very popular in the late nineties on, he was on uh, the sci-fi channel, I think. And he had uh, a huge show. And I remember, so I was maybe like 19 or 20 at the time. And I had just found out that a kid that I used to babysit was hit by a drunk driver and killed. Mm. Uh, as he was on a school bus, um, the drunk driver hit the school bus. I think uh, the kid I used to babysit was the only one who died. And it was just an unimaginable tragedy. And around that time, I happened to discover this show uh, where this guy claimed to be able to talk to the dead. And I remember s saying to my boyfriend at the time, who was also a magician, yeah. like, I think maybe maybe I believe in an afterlife. And he's like, okay, why? And I, I was like, well, because, you know, I saw this guy on TV and he was saying, you know, he was telling his family these things that they, like nobody else would have known except for their dead loved one, you know? Mm. And he just looks at me, he's like, Rebecca, that's cold rating. And I was like, what? Yeah. <laughs> he's like, you literally do that <laughs> in your ads. Like this guy's just doing magic tricks. And, and for me, it's like the, the lie felt good for a minute, mm. but it can't hold up, you know, and, and the resulting crash when you realize that it doesn't hold up is so much worse than just working on mm your own grief and your own mental health. So, yeah, I think, uh, you know, have psychics helped people get through hard times in their life? I'm sure of it. Mm -hmm. um, but the, the 
the power that you give some random stranger over your psyche like that, it's to me, it's it's too dangerous. Yeah. Yeah. And I think you've sold me a little bit on that too. Cause I'm always like, eh, you know, that helps them cope a little bit, but, but yeah, like the long term, like if you're giving somebody a bad tool to cope, you know, then exactly. in the long run, it's, it's going to hurt them. Right. You know, and I try to teach, you know, when I'm talking with my son, like it'd be easier when he was a kid, if I just kind of told him all these, like, you know, fun stories and stuff, but instead I'm real with him and, and he has a better outlook and I'm trying to teach him to be a, you know, sort of a scientific thinker, but yeah, I, I, I just thought of this too. I forgot about this docuseries. Have you seen the Netflix docuseries Surviving Death? Have you watched that? No. Oh, not me. I, I have a guilty pleasure of watching these shows. But anyways, it's all about these. It's like each episode's a different story. Like some of them are like, oh, I died and went to heaven. There's there's this uh, this one family who believes that, you know, believes in sidekicks and they spend insane amounts of money. But then they also have this kid where they swear it's somebody who was reborn into him and they mm. find who the dead guy was and they go and they visit this family. It's wild. So if you want, if you want something fun to watch, that sounds crazy. Yeah, it is. It's, it's bonkers, but, but well, yeah. yeah, I I'm, I'm reminded too, though, of um, this might be another good example of like short-term uh, happiness versus long-term damage. I have a friend who uh, her mother died and she was, just completely broken because as you know anybody would be as close to their mother but I remember talking to my friend about the the issue and she said you know I never had any pets growing up and uh so the first and I feel like a lot of people learn how to deal with death Mm. through pets she's like this is the first death I've ever dealt with and Mm. it's my mother um, and like it was that was so colossal to her because she hadn't she didn't have the tools to yeah. deal with that kind of grief. Um, so I think it's important that we uh, not that necessarily every child needs a pet so they can learn about death. But I, I do think that we better prepare uh, our kids for for future problems by um letting them go through these things and teaching them the uh the the rational way to deal with them and i Mm -hmm. think that that gives them the tools so later in life they know what to do and so i think that yeah just like lying to somebody they they never build up that tool set for dealing with grief and i think it comes back to bite them on the ass yeah, no, absolutely. And, you know, speaking of speaking of tools, something I, w- I was thinking about, um, because one of the reasons I, I reached out to you and said, hey, come on, I loved your video on depressive realism, um, because, uh, you know, for those uh, who need to still go check out the video, it's about this research about depressed people seeing the world a little bit more as it is. But you, you chat a little bit about like, you know, kind of like our cognitive distortions and stuff. So I'm I'm curious, like, you know, because being uh, skeptical or being, you know, a critical thinker, it's about questioning things, right? And for me personally, this has helped me so much with my mental health because this this thing up here can tell me all sorts of crazy shit, right? And part of like cognitive behavioral therapy is questioning these things. So, you know, I don't know if you want to kind of give an overview of depressive realism and all that, but I'm curious for you and your personal experience, has, has this kind of skeptical thinking helped you with your mental health at all like are these tools that could be applied to it yeah i mean i i think so so yeah depressive realism is the idea that uh depressed people are depressed because they see the world for what it is which is depressing and (laughs) uh that uh their depression then does also go on to help them uh understand the world uh, better than than people who are happy optimists, and it's mostly based on a bunch of studies that were done in the late seventies. That uh, so the the one I mention is a study in which they got a bunch of students uh, half depressed, half not depressed, and they had them push a button while a light bulb lit up, and the 
two things had nothing to do with one another. The button pushing did not make the light turn on or turn off, but they didn't tell the subjects that. And they found that depressed people were more likely to accurately guess that their actions were useless. Yeah, And it's like, well, if you're testing something that is inherently depressing, then yeah, the depressed people are going to do better. Like I mentioned that if, you know, if there were a study where like the goal was to stay in bed as long as possible, <laughs> yeah, I'm going to do better at it than non-depressed people. Um, and meanwhile, there are other studies in, in the video. I, I mentioned one uh, by Richard Wiseman. Uh, Wiseman wasn't studying depressive uh, realism at all. He was studying luck. And mm -hmm. uh, he found that people who thought of themselves as lucky were more likely to be observant and to take advantage of opportunities as they were presented to them. So in one case, for instance, uh, he had left a five pound note, I think, uh, mm -hmm. outside of his lab. And the people who thought of themselves as lucky were more likely to see the note and pick it up while the depressed, you know, unlucky walking disasters didn't even notice it. Mm -hmm. So, you know, again, he wasn't studying this concept, but there's an example of non-depressed people who are actually better at observing reality. Mm -hmm. But in this case, the reality was a positive thing. Mm -hmm. And so when you ask about uh, if my skepticism has helped with my mental health, absolutely. And I think that um, I do owe a lot of this to being a magician as well, mm. because magicians learn uh, how easy it is to fool someone and more importantly, how easy it is to get somebody to fool themselves, you know, uh, like there, there are some illusions where I, as the magician, don't really have to do much. You know, yeah. <laughs> I let you, the person watching the trick, uh, just just lie to yourself and invent your own little backstory. And mm -hmm. you know, and I, obviously, I can't go into more detail, or I'll be put to death by the yeah. magicians' council. Yeah. Um, but um, that taught me that the brain is a liar no, in no. the best of times. Your brain is lying to you. And so I got very interested in how your brain lies to you. Um, another avenue there is, you know, optical illusions, which um, a lot of people, I think, don't necessarily relate to these other things, but it's exactly the same. Like your brain evolved in such a way that uh, when you um, spin a disc with a spiral on it, it looks like you're falling into a hole, you know, or if mm -hmm. you uh, look at these squares and they look like they're different colors, but they're actually the same color. You know, that's that's your brain lying to you. Mm -hmm. um, so it's to me, it's that's kind of a central tenet of being a good critical thinker is understanding how easy it is for you to be biased about something and not even know mm -hmm. it unless you really work hard to take that step back and look at what the actual situation is and 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 start from the assumption like well what if i'm wrong about this mm -hmm. you know and yeah. and so to me, you know, when you were asking about what critical thinking is to me, uh, and then you you mentioned how other people can distort the idea, um, I, I realized that I think a, one big difference is that I see it as a very personal process. Mm. It's critical thinking to me isn't about telling someone else they're wrong. It's about wondering if I'm wrong mm -hmm. and then purposely seeking out it more information based on the assumption that I could be wrong. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, I, I've been trying to kind of figure out since I, you know, started the podcast and interviewed so many authors and stuff, you know, what, what are my goals? What am I trying to do and stuff? And it all comes back to like being able to update my beliefs and challenge my beliefs, like literally saved my life. Like I was a drug addict until 2012 
And I had these, these set in stone beliefs, like the only way I can feel good is if I snort pills or drink alcohol, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, you know, my depression was fueled by these ideas that I can't be loved. Everybody hates me. You know, my anxiety was fueled. And then when I just like what you just said, just even bringing in the question, like, is it possible that I'm wrong? Right. Yeah. And it, it, it's, it literally saved my life. So now, you know, being sober nine and, you know, nine and a half years, I look at just different things, whether it's on political views or whether it's on, you know, just anything that I'm coming across and how I, you know, I think, I think a good, a good way to do this, or at least this is what I do. If I find something and somebody said something that I really agree with, like a thousand percent, I, that's when it, that's when the little idea comes in like, Hey, is it possible you're wrong about this? Like yeah. if I agree with something too much, <laughs> that that's a good that's a good signal. And that's how I am whenever I read a scientific study <laughs> whose conclusion I already agree with. Um, what was the one that came up recently? Um, gosh, I don't remember what it was, but I'm like, all right, I agree with this, so I've really got to dig in. And I started looking into the study more deeply, just reading it through, and it was so statistics heavy, and that's just not my thing so i started writing a script for a video about it where i'm like just assuming that the stats are correct and then i stopped and i'm like no no i can't i can't do that so i yeah. shipped the whole thing off to uh my friend and fellow skeptic writer jamie bernstein who's a statistics genius mm -hmm. and uh she got back to me within the hour you know and and actually confirmed that the study was good and that the statistical models were good um but yeah like i definitely had that moment where i'm like i'm doing an unskeptical thing right now and yeah. and like i was unfortunately partly motivated by the idea like if if something if someone else checks into the study and finds out that it's not good that i'm going to look like a moron so yeah uh yeah so i ended up doing the right thing in that circumstance but it's so easy to just be like oh i agree with that sign on yeah you know? yeah that's what i i see a, as a major issue whether it's talking about covid or you know whatever it is you see people where they they can find the one thing and in the age of the internet i can literally find anything out there that will agree with what i'm saying right yeah. and even with uh studies too like uh what what drives me nuts is how many studies are behind a paywall you know like fortunately mm -hmm. i have access but like i realized after you know researching a few different topics like i can find studies to agree with me right but like yeah. are they peer reviewed were they conducted you know to like a certain scientific standard and all that and it's it's hard for people to do that because you know, confirmation bias, it just, it feels so good. You know, when, yeah. like you said, like when the conclusion agrees with you, it's this, aha, I was right about this, you know? Um, that's also a good reason why I think that when we teach kids particularly, but people in general about science, we highlight the failures of science mm. um, because I, you know, I'm definitely guilty of this as well. Just saying like, you know, trust science, believe scientists, but that kind of distillation ends up being incorrect when we are, for instance, faced with a huge replication crisis mm -hmm. in the sciences, especially in fields like psychology and sociology, um, which we need now more than ever. Uh, but science as an idea isn't, um, perfect and divorced from the rest of the world um the 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 topics we choose to research the way we go about researching them what people uh tend to gravitate towards um mm -hmm. the racial and sexual uh makeup of the people who are doing these studies um and then whether or not anyone ever bothers to replicate findings um the entire thing you know we have we have a joke on my i have a twitch channel where i play video games and there's a running joke which is what's the problem the problem is capitalism uh, <laughs> in our capitalistic society we reward scientists for doing interesting research mm -hmm. uh, and new research and so that makes it more likely that people will flub data 
and less likely that anyone will bother to try to replicate studies because that's boring. Mm -hmm. uh, getting a negative result is boring, you know, and if you want to uh, you get tenure, if you want to keep your job, you publish. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, the whole endeavor is deeply, deeply flawed. And so when you've got a situation like what we're dealing with with COVID, uh, on the one hand, it's like, OK, we, we have to trust the experts, but also we need to understand <laughs> that the experts are currently disagreeing. And that's normal. Yeah. Uh, that's a normal part of science is, well, I found this. Oh, yeah, well, I found this. Well, that's yeah. a different conclusion. Let's figure out what the reality is. Um, it's a it's a living, messy process. Yeah. And it's not as easy as saying like, well, this study says this. And so that must be true. Yeah. So, yeah. No, unfortunately. And, and yeah. And Rebecca, you know, after watching your comments, I'm like, you know, Rebecca and I are going to get along. Cause I literally think the same thing. I'm like, <laughs> what's the problem? Capitalism. Capitalism. Aside from like, you know, listening to the experts and what they're finding, it's like, who's paying the experts? What do they, what do they get from this? Like, you yeah. know, all the I pharmaceutical Somebody on mm -hmm. Twitter had to point this out to me. Um, I made a video recently about uh, how vegans and vegetarians tend to be more depressed. I was going to ask you about that video, too. <laughs> well, yeah. It, and it's interesting because uh, so this wasn't like a, a new study. It was actually a meta-analysis, which yeah. is when, uh, you know, you look back at a whole bunch of previous research and uh, see what the consensus is. So meta-analyses are very important um, because they can help sum up a large body of research, but also they can be uh, highly biased because, you know, how do you pick and choose which studies to mm. run with? And uh, so this meta-analysis did find ultimately that vegans and vegetarians are more depressed. Uh, a conclusion that I accept, uh, I've seen a lot of the, the research that mm -hmm. shows this, um, my interest was in why, uh, and, and so I talk about that in the video, but after I published the video on Twitter, somebody was like, do you see who, uh, who funded that meta-analysis? Uh -oh. It was like the dairy farmers of America, <laughs> <or something laughs> like, like, like the beef council. Yeah. And it's like, oh, I can't believe I missed what uh yeah no that's that's something you know especially in a capitalist society we always got I, I this is something else i teach to my son right like no matter what you're reading learning about whatever like always ask like who's benefiting from this you know what i mean yeah. but uh but yeah uh, so I'm, I'm vegetarian which is one of the reasons my girlfriend and i watched your video last night because we don't eat meat uh but yeah it made sense too when you're talking about like vitamin d deficiencies and stuff because i actually found out through some recent blood work and i was low on vitamin d so i've been taking yeah. those you there know you and and sometimes just those things uh encourage me to take vitamins or you don't exercise have the same and... excuse as me though i lived in buffalo in the winter yeah. you're in vegas <laughs> get out of the sun yeah, no, I, and yeah that's the other thing too like i i was asking my doctor that because i actually go for a walk every single morning outside and you know it's very yeah. rare that it's cloudy <laughs> and stormy and stuff but she's like nope they're still low on vitamin d so i'm like all right yeah, you know time to but, supplement <laughs> but you know speaking speaking of some of these uh these pills that we put in our mouth and capitalism right so i am you know i'm I have so many conflicts with big pharma as well, because my drug of choice was prescription medications. And we all know about the, the decades long opioid epidemic and Purdue yeah. Pharma, those assholes and whatever. But anyways, anyways, so just since getting sober, I try to limit the amount of pills I'm taking and everything, but I have been on antidepressants pretty much since I got sober. Right. So, you know, I started with like Lexapro, went to Prozac. Most recently, my doctor put me on Wellbutrin and, you know, just because side effects and blah, blah, blah. But yeah, uh, I, you know, in recent years, I've read a ton about just uh, issues with overdiagnosing, issues with overmedicating mm -hmm. and all that. So I'm curious your thoughts or any advice for anybody listening, right? Because we have to worry about big pharma funding things. And, and especially when I learned how they test these medications and sometimes it's funded by the company that's making it and you know, whatever. But anyways, how do you as a skeptic make decisions about antidepressants or anti-anxiety medications and knowing that some of the studies might be flawed, some of them have high placebo effects, 
and all that. And I'm, I'm even asking for personal advice because I'm always <laughs> conflicted about this. Yeah, I mean, so I, I share your concerns about the pharmaceutical industry. I'm always very upfront about that. Um, I, I used to campaign against big pharma uh, when I was in my early 20s. I went door to door working for a lobbying organization that was trying to improve Medicare to include prescription medication mm. during the Bush administration. Um, so I have never been a friend of big pharma. Um, however, when it comes to what medications I take, uh, I, and this is a privileged position for me to be in, I find a doctor I trust mm. and I do what they say. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, and, and there's a big privilege. There's several, you know, one, you know, living in the United States, I have insurance coverage. I haven't always, but now I do. And, uh, so that's like number one. <laughs> number two is because I've usually had insurance coverage and I haven't had too many bad run-ins with doctors. I have the energy <laughs> to advocate for myself and mm -hmm. find a doctor that I like, you know. Uh, so this actually happened. Um, I'll talk a little bit about my mental health history. Uh, when I was in college, uh, I was, uh, working at the magic store, going to working full time. I, I managed the magic store. Uh, the other manager was my boyfriend who I was living with and I was going to school full time. And in my final semester, um, everything was going poorly, mm. uh, my classes were, you know, difficult. Um, I and constantly running into scheduling conflicts, working full time and going to school full time. Um, my relationship with my boyfriend was going down the toilet. Uh, mm. He was a real piece of shit, <laughs> and uh, and he was also my coworker. You yeah. know, and as a manager, like I suddenly had all these new. Um, responsibilities and like I was constantly just worried about did I lock the door last night like no. did I you know did I count down the register properly just just I was I would stay up all night just worrying about this stuff and then I I remember at one point I had to go to class but I had a stomach ache and it was so bad that I decided to drive to class even though it was just you know like a mile down the street and I parked in front of the building and my stomach hurt so badly that I just curled up in the fetal position and mm. for like an hour until I felt like I could drive home again. So I went to a doctor and the doctor's like, mm -hmm. you have uh, acid reflux. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, oh, oh, okay. And he's like, yeah, it's just, you know, cause I was like, I feel like, uh, I'm going like I'm in a roller coaster, you know, that feeling in your stomach when you go down a roller coaster. Yeah. I was like, I get that like all the time. And he's like, yeah, that's acid reflux. So he put me on Prevacid, which back then was a um, prescription only thing. And uh, and it, it's it's basically like a heartburn medication, you yeah. know. So I started taking it and it worked, fixed it. Mm. And I was like, sweet. So uh and that doctor was actually like my family's doctor in New Jersey. I was living in Boston at the time. Um, and I had just gone to see him like on a holiday. And mm. so then I'm back in Boston and I've run out of Prevacid. And so I'm like, okay, I finally need to like find a doctor here and see them regularly. So I pick a doctor that's in my network or whatever. And I go to see her and I explain the situation to her. And I'm like, so can I please get a prescription for Prevacid? And she says, no, because uh, like you're, uh, I, I, I want to say anxiety, but at the time, like, I don't think the word anxiety ever even came into play, like mm. stress. I think it was called stress. Yeah. She says, stress doesn't cause acid reflux. What are you eating? What's your diet? And I'm like, 
she's like, do you eat a lot of orange oranges? <laughs> Drink a lot of orange juice? <laughs> and I'm like, no, my diet hasn't changed at all in the last four years. It's just, you know, I'm pretty sure it's the stress. Can I please have, the-? and she's like, no, you need to go on this diet where you don't eat anything acidic. And I, I left and I just never went back. Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't think I saw a doctor for the next 10 years. Um, yeah. and, and again, like, anx- like the word anxiety never even showed up. So fast forward, I'm living in Buffalo, like 10 years later. And, uh, I started getting all these death threats from being a woman online. Mm. Uh, and it was really bad. Um, if your listeners want to look up elevator gate, that's what it was, but, um, just nonstop harassment to the point where I was like crying all the time. I didn't want to go outside. Um, I was a mess mm-hmm. and I had, uh, a friend had given me a, um, what's, what's the stuff that Jordan Peterson got addicted to? Xanax. Xanax. A friend had given <laughs> me a half of a Xanax once. Um, and I thought that it was great. So I'm like, you know what I need? I need a Xanax. <laughs> so yeah. I go to, I pick a random doctor in my network, <laughs> go see him. <laughs> and I explain uh, what's happening. I was like, okay, so I have all this stress happening and I'm starting to get these stomach aches again. So here's what I need from you. I need a prescription for Prevacid because this is acid reflux. <laughs> and number two, I would love to have some Xanax. It's, I took some Xanax before <laughs> and it was great. And he just looks at me, he's like, first of all, Prevacid is available over the counter now. And I was like, what? Nice. <laughs> And he's like, second of all, I'm not giving you ZX. And I'm like, okay, then I'm just going to leave and never come back. <laughs> he's like, hold on. I'm going to put you on escitalopram, uh, mm. uh, Lexapro. Yeah. Uh, and I was like, this is one of those things I got to take every day for the rest of my goddamn life. And he's like, yeah. And I'm like, and it's going to make me like a blank zombie. And he's like, no, the idea is that it's just going to stop. You have severe anxiety i was like mm-hmm. what? and he's like and probably depression <laughs> and i was like yeah oh is that what that is yeah it's like yeah so he's like look do me a favor just take it for like six weeks all right and then come back and and if you don't like it we'll go off we'll i'll, I'll try to convince you to quit your job <laughs> i was <laughs> like i'm not quitting my job he's like all right just do this and like all right man so uh, and it was probably helped along by the fact that he looked like Richard Dreyfus. Uh, really? <laughs> yeah. And it made me trust him more. <laughs> so, so I went on uh, the Lexapro and uh, found to my delight that not only did it decrease the crying episodes, um, but I realized it, it solved a problem that I didn't know was a problem. I talk about yeah. this video. It is um, the fact that like many nights I would just lay in bed and think about how I'm going to die one day and there's nothing I can do about it. Mm -hmm. And how fucking depressing is that? And I just assumed that was the human condition. Like, like how do you fix that? You can't, I'm going to die one day. Um, but the pills fixed, um, you know, it would still pop into my head. You're going to die one day. Everybody knows going to die one day. Yeah. Um, and then I would think, I wonder what I'm going to have for breakfast tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because if nobody is helped by continuing to think about something that I can't change, yeah. you know, uh, it, it was only making me miserable and leading to sleep loss. And once I was on the Lexapro, I was like, oh, that's not just a state of being that is uh, me understanding reality better than everyone else it's my fucked up brain yeah. focusing on something horrible instead of thinking about all the nice things that are happening in the world yeah yeah you know, or things that i can actually change you know um so uh i i'm sorry i've just been talking like nonstop. i enjoyed that story <laughs> <laughs> so yeah like i i went back to the doctor and i explained this to him and <laughs> i was like it fixed the thing I didn't even know was the problem. Yeah. And I told him the story and he just looks at me and he's like, you really need to quit your job. <laughs> and I'm, like, <laughs> I'm like, sorry, I'm, I'm an online atheist. This is how it is. Um, 
and we had a he and I had this great relationship. Yeah. You know, and and I trusted him. And so I've since moved and I've lucked into another great doctor who mm. hears me out and, you know, and I, again, that's that's luck, that's privilege. Not everybody has that. Yeah. Um, but if you have health insurance and if you have the energy, which if you have depression and anxiety, there's a good chance you don't have that energy. Yeah. Um, if you can have, if you have a friend or a family member who can help you, um, find a doctor who you can trust and yeah. then do what they say. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Like, I, I can't it, express how, how much that helped me too with a, with a good doctor. Cause I, I dated doctors yeah. too, but, uh, my doctor, she will, she, she'll sit and just talk to me forever. Cause you know, especially me being a recovering addict, she'll talk to me about the medications. Is there a possibility for addiction? Da, 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 da. But my, it's, I, I love hearing your story too, just because my experience with Lexapro was exactly the same. I didn't realize, I didn't realize that I had a generalized anxiety disorder until after I got sober. I was like, oh, this is when I've been self-medicating. Right. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, oh, okay. And, and kind of like what you said, like I, when I got on the medication and, you know, these medications affect all this differently and stuff. But for me, I could feel my brain trying to go to those anxious ruminating thoughts, but yeah. it was just like, nah, we're not no. going to do that. I'm like, that's pretty fucking awesome. You and know? I'll, I'll mention that that's another aspect of my luck and privilege is that the very first thing we tried worked perfectly for me with mm -hmm. no, like I do have the side effect of, um, I occasionally get night sweats, which sucks, mm -hmm. but, um, but I've noticed that it's mostly when I drink. So <laughs> I just have to like drink less, but, um, yeah, like I'm very lucky and not most people are not that lucky. You have to try like several yeah. different things. And, you know, I, I have some friends for whom, you know, they still they've tried everything and nothing has seemed to work, okay. you know, and now they're on to like the experimental stuff. Yeah. You know, so it it's hard. It's a hard journey um, and it's made harder by the American healthcare system. Yeah. Uh, I was just having a conversation with another friend who uh, moved to a different state and had to find a new doctor and uh, ran into a little uh, difficulty because she had all these questions and like the doctor just seemed to kind of cut her off and leave. And the receptionist afterwards was like, oh, uh, did you want to schedule like a double appointment next time and she's like what do you mean and she's like well we schedule in 15 minute oh wow uh chunks so do you want 30 minutes instead next time and she's this was like the first time she was going to this doctor and she had um like uh like these injuries that needed uh therapy yeah. so she had to like you know set up appointments with other doctors and stuff through this doctor and 15 minutes it's just not enough and you know what's the problem capitalism, capitalism. yeah <laughs> yeah that is that is insane and and yeah rebecca i know i gotta let you go but i have one last question just because we're talking about the privilege of you know having access to these things like like i i recently i got laid off like last month and fortunately oh. i i have like all my healthcare stuff you know in line because i plan ahead that also <laughs> helps my anxiety yeah but just real quick so being a skeptic, right, because so many people lack health care, it's difficult to, you know, get medications, go to therapy, whatever. There are so many like I, I love reading books and there are so many just smart people who have written books on evidence based treatments like, uh, you know, CBT, DBT, just so many things. Right. So anyways, for people who don't have access to some of these things, what would you recommend to avoid some of the sham self-help? guru nonsense but to help themselves if they can't afford to see a professional what what are some things somebody should look out for if they're just trying to help themselves that's a great that question research? um so avoid anything that says homeopathy a lot of mm -hmm. people don't realize they think homeopathy is just natural ingredients mm -hmm. but it's not it's all based on a scam and uh can be very bad for you. Like at best, it's just a placebo. And at worst, it's poorly regulated. Um, it's sold by big pharma usually um, mm -hmm. under different brand names. And sometimes they accidentally include ingredients in it that can screw you up or even kill you. 
Um, so avoid homeopathy. Um, in general, I would say avoid uh, supplements and vitamins unless you have a doctor that's told you, you know, you have a deficiency. Otherwise, you're usually just going to key out whatever it is. Yeah. Um, again, at best, <laughs> at worst, you can, you know, build up uh, toxic levels of vitamin A, for instance, things like that. Uh, and avoid fads, um, mm. you know, fad diets. Uh, I, I think have a, um, there's like another side of the coin with fad, healthy lifestyle stuff. Mm. Um, when it comes down to it, I think it's pretty simple. Um, and, and I, it's very beneficial to your health to, you know, uh, try to eat fruits and vegetables, yeah. <laughs> eat a variety of foods, mostly plants. That's Michael Pollan's very good advice. Mm -hmm. Uh, walk. Just go for a walk. Like I, it's so difficult, especially in a depressive state to want to do any form of exercise. But a lot mm. of people don't realize that just walking is an exercise that you can do. And when I find myself getting burned out from doom scrolling or whatever, you know, I'm lucky because I have a dog now. So I have a really good excuse mm -hmm. uh, to just take him for a walk. And it's incredible how much better I feel. And my brain refuses to acknowledge that that's going to happen. It's like, yeah. no, you're miserable now. You're going to be miserable out there. Only it's also going to be unpleasantly warm or something, you know? Yeah. But then once I do it, I'm like, oh, I feel so much better just mm -hmm. for having done this. Um, so yeah, those, those are my recommendations, I guess. Um, it's, it sucks though, because, uh, while diet and exercise have helped me immensely, I would, I would be dead in a ditch if it weren't for the Lexapro, yeah. you know? Um, so I think the other thing is to uh, try to keep in mind that sometimes brains are just completely fucked up and like yeah. no amount of non-pharmaceutical intervention is going to necessarily be a long-term solution mm -hmm. um and to to forgive yourself for that you know so like mm -hmm. if you do not have the option the money the time the uh you know whatever to to see a doctor and to get meds that work for you uh tell yourself like it's okay to feel as shitty as you feel yeah um it's not necessarily because of the choices you've made in life. Sometimes mm -hmm. it's just like your brain is fucked. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And mm -hmm. I, and that's, that's something that helped me out a lot. And I just, I accept it. I embrace it. I'll be like, Hey, well, today's your day to lay in bed, but Rebecca, yeah. you're amazing. And one, one last piece of advice I'd give people is to check out your content because yeah, oh, like I said, you. the way you, the way you, you look at research and studies and stuff, I think it'll help people if they come across something and they're like, is this a bad? just having the tools that you put out there. So for everybody who is unaware of your work and where to find you and just fell in love with you, where can they find you and keep up to date with everything? I follow you on Twitter, but maybe there's some other places. What what's, yeah, what I'm, should they get to? I'm on Twitter at Rebecca Watson. Uh, I'm also on Patreon, patreon.com slash Rebecca, or you can also find all of my videos and also posts from other people at Skeptic. That's S-K-E-P-C-H-I-C-K dot org. And I think that's all of the major places to find me. Beautiful. Well, I will link all that stuff down in the description. And Rebecca, thank you so much for taking the time to come over and chat with me. I loved it. Thanks. I enjoyed this too. All right, everybody. I hope you enjoyed that episode with Rebecca. She is such an awesome person. I love when it's somebody that I'm just meeting, you know, and like we had such a great conversation. I really, I really love that. She's, she's such a cool person. So make sure you head down to the description, make sure you're following her, subscribe to her channel, because I guarantee, I guarantee you'll learn so much and it'll help you kind of look at these different, you know, articles and studies that are getting thrown at you every single day it'll help you look at them a little bit more skeptically but what i love about you know my conversation with rebecca too is how we were able to talk about that kind of intellectual humility and confirmation bias and realizing like hey i might be wrong about this these are all tools that you know we all need to use on a daily basis so we don't get stuck in our beliefs or 
you know, fall for nonsense because of our biases and let it just skew our thinking. So make sure you're following Rebecca, make sure you go subscribe to her channel. And if you're not yet, make sure you're following the podcast so you don't miss any upcoming episodes. And follow me over on Instagram and Twitter at The Rewired Soul so you don't miss any upcoming episodes. We have a ton, a ton of cool episodes coming up this week. There's like so many new books coming out this week. And yeah, it's going to be jam-packed. So many new interesting topics. So make sure that you're following me on Instagram and Twitter so you don't miss anything. And before I let you go, don't forget there's an affiliate link down below for BetterHelp Online Therapy. So if you think that, you know, you're at a place where talking with a therapist can help give better help a try. I, I, I'm letting you know, I, I used it. And one of the things I love is not only can you find a therapist specifically for what you're dealing with, but if you don't like a therapist, there's no awkward conversation. You just click a button, boom, you get a brand new therapist. So yeah, I think, don't quote me on this. I think too, that they have a free trial. So go ahead and check out that link. If you've been interested in trying some therapy. All right. But anyways, another huge thanks to Rebecca. Make sure you're following her and subscribe to her channel. And for all of you, have an amazing rest of your day. And I'll see you this coming week with so many great new episodes. It's going to blow your brain up. All right. Have a good one. And I'll see you next time.